Hey everyone, welcome to our fourth podcast of the Confessions of an IT Business Owner, where we believe that healthy cash flow is critical for your IT business, automation is paramount, and building trust with your clients by looking more professional will help you grow your business. I'm your host, Dave Scott, the head of marketing here at Connect Booster, and today we're joined by Joy Beeland, the CEO of Pink Hat Technology. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about some of the interesting challenges and profound struggles that Joy and her business has gone through while growing her IT company. The hardest thing for me is that I don't have anybody to fall back on. At the end of the day, the buck stops here. There's no one else ever that I would even want to try to point a finger to. And, you know, those sleepless nights that come with that are hard. Here's the podcast with Joy. Joy, thanks for joining us on today's podcast. We appreciate it. Oh, Dave, you're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. So why don't you tell us the name of your company and tell us where you're from? Pink Hat Technology Management. Uh, formerly, we were known as LAIT Girl, and as that name implies, we are based in Los Angeles. Awesome. I rebranded and renamed my company about three years ago in light of cybersecurity, and also because of the growing team that we have assembled. Um, no longer are we just one girl, we are a team of people, and I wanted our name to reflect that. That's awesome. I love the logic behind it. That's great. Where I knew you guys are based in LA in California. What area do you serve? Are you a national company where you have the majority of your clients throughout the U.S. or North America? Or are you primarily regional just in the Los Angeles, California area? Yeah, primarily we are just in Los Angeles County. We do have a handful of clients that have satellite offices as far east as New York. Um, and we always will support those satellite offices as well. Um, but, you know, the bulk of our business is right here in Los Angeles. Cool. That's great. Talk to us about your ideal customer. Who's your ideal persona that you guys are targeting? Interestingly, that's um, taken a lot of focus of my time and attention over this last year to really get into who is our ideal client. Um, before I would have given you the standard answer, a lot of MSPs would give you is, oh, you know, 20, minimum 20 desktops up to 200 desktops um, and a professional services firm of some kind. Um, what we've done is we've really gone into our existing clientele to see who are our best clients and why. And then we've done a targeted um, approach to getting more like them. So what that leaves us with is 20 to 300 is the size. More importantly, though, we are focusing on the nonprofit community and also the advertising and commercial real estate companies. Cool. I love that. I love that you guys are segmenting and more or less specializing in a certain verticals. As you know, a lot of your peers um, don't do a really good job of that. So I know it's hard and, and uh, obviously you'll take business when it's when it's business. But um, but that's great that you guys that you're you're focused on, uh, you know, the that ideal customer, not the um, not the not ideal one, so to speak. Exactly. What sort of problems are you are you all solving? Well, right now, of course, it's protecting them um, from data breaches and doing a lot of security awareness training. Um, in addition to that, though, I mean, as our clients grow, being able to factor in the mobility that they need um, and in addition to the security, of course, and being able to remain a strategic uh, business ally and, and trusted advisor in more than just what our clients perceive as IT. 
um, because everything, as you know, will trickle back to IT. So remaining engaged in conversations about simple things like their struggles in human resources or their struggles in billing their clients and collecting money. And we are always alert for those conversations so that we can throw in some of the solutions and vendors that we work with as a small business. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be for IT businesses, but just as a small business and being able to help and um, collaborate with them in more than just what do they need for technology. Sounds like you've got a well thought out process. That's, uh, I love that. Thank you, we try. Yeah, talk to me about an average day in the life of Joy. What does that look like? Oh, I wish it was a lot less frenzied, honestly. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> I am, um, I still feel as if I'm, I'm doing the exercise of separating myself from service delivery and that kind of comes and goes. Um, but that's the biggest disruption to my day is when there's all hands on deck and we need uh, for me to jump in for the service delivery portion. Otherwise, um, I would say that half of my day is focused on sales and prospecting, um, a couple hours a day on all things financial, and um, just whatever else comes you know, along. In LA, we can spend a lot of time commuting, and I, uh, I'm very excited about the podcast because I am a huge podcast fan and I use my commute time during the day as my education time. That it's funny you mentioned that all the three last guests that we've interviewed have said the exact same thing. Scott especially said it because as you know, he's based in LA as well. But right. yeah, we have gotten that same answer and, and, the, and the same thing applies for us, right? Like even though I'm in marketing and I love podcasts, um, I still like a good podcast that that's not about marketing, right? I love to listen to them as I travel when I'm on a plane and I make sure that I connect to Wi-Fi so all the most recent ones are downloaded on my iPhone and, and away I go. So like you, I, I find them uh, refreshing and relevant, especially when I'm on the go. Exactly. Talk to us about some of the wins that you've celebrated in being um, the owner of your business. It sounds like you rebranded a few years ago, which is great. And certainly that was what I would consider a good marketing or process driven win, right? Talk to us about some of the other wins that you've celebrated in being the owner of your company. Well, do you know, Dave, I, I would consider one of my best wins as um, being able to come out of a very difficult employee scenario, employee situation where we had made a bad hire who, you know, unfortunately had oversold himself and, um, ended up costing us a lot of money and we had to really work to make sure that we regained our a few of our clients trust and these were long-term clients um, with you know like a 10-year relationship we we had this employee situation that the relationship went awry and in the healing of that scenario I would say one of the biggest wins in my 20 years of being a business was seeing our team pull together as more than just coworkers, but a family, really to protect the company culture, the integrity behind the service delivery. Um, we sat down and did an exercise with our team of what is an ideal employee and what is the employee from hell. Um, and in that exercise, we all just immediately got aligned back up on what is our mission who are we at the core and seeing how my team rallied around me and our clients during that process for me was, was the biggest win. Um, because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much money we make or 
how happy the clients are if you don't walk in the door with your team and feel really good about what you do and who you are. You know, we had a similar circumstance about a year ago, so I can totally relate to your situation. What were some of the things, um, you know, you talked about your team rallying together. What were some of the things that, that, um, that I guess this situation, how, how did this situation impact you? You talked about protecting your culture. And I know to Brady and Ryan, the founders of um, B&G and Connect Booster and, and Tyler, the other business partner, they're huge, huge fans of fiercely protecting that culture. Because to your point, it is so important. It is important in your, in your hiring. It is important in your growth. What were, what were some of the detriments that you saw from having this person to your culture? Honestly, I think the hardest thing was my grasping early on how much of a burden it was going to be for the rest of the staff as we cleaned up what happened, um, asking them to work overtime. Um, there was a lot of just, you know, wrenching somebody off of something they were in the middle of and all, all hands on deck kind of a scenario as we were uncovering what the potential was that, um, you know, we were looking at. And in those moments, we had to decide early on, how do we speak of this? You know, uh, for my company culture, I don't want to be bad mouthing any staff member, former or existing. I, I don't want that negativity um, and and I, I needed to acknowledge the burden that it would be placing on the rest of the team and really treat them respectfully and um, express my gratitude on a regular basis. Yeah. And um, I think that when you lead with that as the example and, you know, curtail cussing about a scenario and pulling together in a positive way. Um, that was the biggest thing that we had to do. In order to stop the bleeding financially, I had to know emotionally that we were all set and we were going to move forward really positive. Going through those tough situations when you're in the moment can be so hurtful. But when you get out um, and, and that, that, you know, that sliver, that pain point is removed, it can be such a sense of freedom, can't it? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's been my biggest lesson as a business owner is not to react emotionally to a business problem. You know, I have to like map out what would be the absolute best income for the scenario, no matter what it is, and just set my sights on that and walk forward, you know? I have a, a friend and a mentor named MJ, and he constantly challenges me with facts, not feeling when you're in emotional situations. Focus on facts, not feeling. I think it's okay to have feelings, certainly, and it's okay to be frustrated. But at the end of the day, when you're in a really tight, stressful, emotional situation, you know, I keep coming back to that. You know, and it sounds like you did a lot of the same. Talk to me about the day that you left your your old nine to five opportunity for the opportunity of being self employed. <laughs> I only laugh because I certainly didn't have that in mind as I left my old nine to five. Right. Um. At, at all, I think that a lot of us are accidental entrepreneurs. Um. Yeah, I had a a situation in um, an industry that I was working within that really made me question, what is my purpose? What makes me happy? Um, I had come from the entertainment industry with some pretty crazy hours, uh, pretty crazy levels of stress. One would think, well, isn't that kind of nuts to go into IT from that? Because certainly um, being an MSP business owner is no less stressful, but I'll tell you, being an MSP business owner, we have the opportunity to pick and choose our clients in, in a completely different way. So um, when I left 20 years ago 
and started my business, it really was just with the mind of um, interviewing people I had worked with in the past to get their feedback on what were my strengths and weaknesses and where would they see my role as a entrepreneur. And I received enough referrals from those coffee cup meetings um, that I actually just kind of started to do it. And I considered it at the time to be something that would be business consulting, not technology consulting. That, that wasn't even anywhere on my radar. And temporary. And um, I kind of fell into the IT consulting based on my business consulting. When did you first have the notion that you wanted to be self-employed? Was it after you took the leap from your entertainment industry job or was it was it, was it was it ever a thought as you were approaching the end of life situation with your as a W2 full-time employee and what was that what was that notion like if you ever had that notion? No, I I think that what happened for me is about 6 months into being a consultant I realized that I was paying all of my bills and I had the thought of I wonder if this might actually work. Like instead of having one foot out the door where I might just go take a job working for somebody else and one foot in the door of trying to see if this might work for me to be a consultant on my own. And at that six month mark, I just said, you know, I, I'm going to do this. I'm going to put both feet in the door and I'm really going to give it a shot because I was kind of shocked to see I was paying my bills. That is awesome. If you were here right now, I'd give you like the biggest high five and hug because I'm just <laughs> I love hearing that from people and they're like, hey, you know, I. I, I think I could make this work. Matter of fact, I can make this work, right? So it's like that's like you said, it's like it's that accidental entrepreneur. I, I absolutely love that. I absolutely love that. Yeah. yeah. So how did um talk to me about the actual shift change, right? Because you know, you're obviously moving from a nine to five job, steady, safe, secure, comfortable, et cetera, et cetera. What was that shift change like? What was it maybe perceived to those in your in your circle of family or friends? It was pretty difficult. Um, my husband at the time did not like the idea. Really didn't. He thought that it was just a bit too iffy or chancy. And my family loved the idea. Um, my peers that I had worked with before in all different capacities loved the idea. So I had some internal um, battles that I had to, and, and demons, you know, I think it's hard when your spouse is not supporting you in something that you really feel strongly could be a, a direction that means something. Um, and I had to walk through that as carefully as I could. So it was pretty stressful and, um, very emotional time for me. Yeah, no, I can imagine. What, what's the why? Talk to me about the why of why you got started. Starting off, the why was that I felt like I could be the best right-hand person to a business owner in being able to make their big picture ideas come to life. How that spreads throughout their company, um, the workflow processes, the mission, you know, um, being able to express that mission and have people jump onto it. And I, I, accidentally started to focus more on technology because I was asked to do a favor from somebody to sit in and be a help desk um, at a college here in LA for 105 users with five servers just for two weeks. 
and um, it was part time. And he begged me. He said, "Please sit on a, on this with me." And and to this day, he's one of my mentors. I I just love this man. But um, in that two week period of me sitting in as a help desk while I was a business consultant. Um, a magical thing happened in that the IT director at that one college flew in from Cincinnati to meet me and said, you know, I can teach you the IT portion that you don't know. The hardest thing about teaching IT people how to be is um, how, to, how to interact with the people part of it. And with the business background you have, you've got that nailed. So um, I agreed to stay on part time. And that was my first really big client. And um, that is what kind of pointed me in the direction of focusing more on technology, always with the spirit of wanting to be of service. I just love that feeling when you are able to assist somebody in accomplishing something that has been frustrating them, whether it's teaching them how to do something better or fixing something. I really love that immediate satisfaction in knowing that I've been able to help somebody. And I think there's a great book that I just got done reading called um, The Entrepreneurial Equation by Carol Roth. And she's a a big business contributor to Fox News and a bunch of other network um, shows. And she talks about in the book the difference between being self-employed and the difference between being an entrepreneur. And she says a self-employed person left their nine-to-five because they had an ax to grind, right? Maybe they got fired or canned or they didn't get along with their boss and they just hated life. They're purely in it for the money, right? They're just self-employed just for the freedom and the cash and that's it. Where she talks about the difference between that and an entrepreneur is an entrepreneur feels like they can serve somebody. They feel like they can make somebody's life better. They can decrease a pain point or eliminate a struggle that somebody is going through by improving a certain product or service that's already in the marketplace. So it sounds like you're definitely the latter of Carol Roth's uh, definitions, which is that that entrepreneurial mindset. So that's that's great. I'm, I'm definitely going to look that book up. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. The, on, the Entrepreneurial Equation by Carol Roth, one of my favorite business books that I've ever read. All right, everyone, just a quick break to highlight two of our sponsors for today's show. We want to highlight 5-Step Marketing. 5-Step Marketing helps your business increase the ROI and positive results by drastically improving your email marketing efforts. Check them out at 5stepmarketing.com to learn how to get the most out of your email marketing. Our second sponsor for today's show is Bvoip. Bvoip is the perfect channel-only offering for your IT firm and MSP business. Bvoip works with MSPs around the globe to incorporate cloud communications into your big-picture telecom strategy. Their program is built for MSPs, IT firms, and cloud service providers, and Bvoip happens to be the VoIP provider for your friends here at Connect Booster and Connect Booster's parent company, BNG. So check them out on the web at bvoip.com. Dot com. That's B-V-O-I-P dot com. And now, back to the show. What, um, you, you talked about the, you know, some of the amazing achievements that you've gone through, the growth, the rebranding, some of the struggles that you've gone through, which is great. I mean, it's got to be great to look back on everything from where you are then to where you are now, isn't it? Well, and having just celebrated in March was our 20th anniversary, and I look at that, and it was actually a a really emotional day when I realized that it hit, and not only is it unusual for any business to be in business for 20 years, 
Um, that's a, a in its own right, that's a wonderful achievement. But to be a woman in technology, to be a female MSP business owner, um, I think has added a layer of complexity. I'm not going to say that I've ever been treated unfairly, and I consider it to be one of my huge advantages, never a disadvantage. But nonetheless, it's one of those things that everywhere I go, when I tell people I own a managed service provider business for IT consulting, I get that look like, seriously, you do? Yeah. You know, <laughs> so 20 years is, is nothing to laugh about. It's, it's really, um, our team is just so excited. I'm so proud of it. 20 years. So you celebrated 20 years in March, you said? Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. So let's dive into that a little bit more. And you talked about some of the challenges being a woman business owner, as well as just running any technology business, which is hard on its own. What are talk to us about a little bit about um, you know some of the the struggles and how tough it can be in running a managed service provider. The biggest struggle for me, I'm the sole owner, and I, a lot of other MSPs that I know have either a husband and wife team or two or more men that have partnered in order to run it and. Um, the hardest thing for me is that I don't have anybody to fall back on. And um, at the end of the day, the buck stops here. There's no one else ever that I would even want to try to point a finger to. And, you know, those sleepless nights that come with that are hard. Um, three years ago, when one of my clients was hit with ransomware on his home computer, um, and we went through the experience of paying the Bitcoin and getting his data unencrypted and cleaning it and all of that, I, at that point, I met with my team and I said, there's no way a business could survive this, that it was like eight business days and $2,000 for that one PC to get everything back for him. Wow. And, you know, this was three years ago and um, everything that we did in the form of disaster recovery and backup had to be rethought and our incident response had to be rethought and we had to have in place manual checks on those processes. And um, that's, I'll tell you that, that for me was the scariest part. I spent the, the bulk of 2015 traveling and educating myself on cybersecurity and having conversations with my clients. And I actually required all of them to do the security awareness training in person with me. Um, it was mandatory, it wasn't a request, it was mandatory. Um, and you know, that paid off. I was really happy to see that happen, but it can be terrifying when a new threat like that comes in and you realize that you have to act. It, it's like a ticking time bomb. You have to act as fast as you can to protect your clients, which really protects your business and your reputation. It does. You know, it's crazy as we went through a similar process about a year ago, connect the connect booster team, because we store so much sensitive information, as you know, payments, processing information, social security numbers. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about that and we touch a lot of this data. We don't store it um, um, because it's offsite and secure, but we touch a lot of that. We talk a lot about that information. So talk about the three most sensitive pieces of information you take from a person and, and we, you know, we're involved in it. So we went through a BDR, a business disaster recovery plan and a PR, uh, PR crisis plan about a year ago. It's probably the best six to seven months that we ever spent going through that process. And I don't think you're ever fully repaired or prepared, right? But we're, we're as prepared as we can be. Um, but to your point, yeah, that is, um, that is incredibly hard. That must have been super emotional as you were going through that eight days with your client. 
Well, it was, and I was understanding this, this is, I think, that the one thing that most MSP business owners experience every few years is all of a sudden you realize that you don't know what you don't know. Right. In a, in a particular scenario and the rush for education and protection and how to monetize that, all of that is, it's, it is kind of an adrenaline rush. I'm not going to lie. I, I kind of thrive off of that kind of stuff, but it's also a bit terrifying at the same time. It is. It is. You know, you talked earlier, um, one of the struggles of running a, an MSP is uh, the loneliness and maybe the, uh, if, I don't know if that's a correct word, so correct me if I'm using a, an improper adjective. Um, but a, a former friend of mine, my college roommate, owns a marketing firm in Minneapolis in St. Paul, Minnesota. And, uh, and they have about 30 employees. They're about 4 or $5 million in annual revenue. And we talk a lot. And he has a business partner, but he's the majority owner and he's the CEO and founder. And, and, and it was all him early on. And he often talks to me about the loneliness. It's lonely at the top. That's what he said before, Dave. He's like, Dave, and he calls me Scotty. That's my nickname to him. But he's like, Scotty, it's lonely at the top. It's lonely at the top. And, and I've never quite understood it because I've never been in his shoes before. I mean, I've, I've been a freelancer and I've owned business, multiple businesses before, but I've never been the lone soul guy. Can you touch on that for a minute? Like, what's that like? I, I don't think that for my scenario that I would feel as if uh, the description would be lonely. Okay. Only because I learned in that relationship with the, the person who had brought me into the college 20 years ago, um, the value in a mentor and peer community. And that person actually about seven years into my business almost forced me to attend a user group. I, I was so, um, I, I don't know what I thought would happen, but I knew it would be all men and me. And, um, you know, I, I thought that they might not take me seriously or what have you. And so I finally went to a user group with him and my whole world just opened up. I, and number one, I, I can say that the IT community, the MSP community, the guys that I know, especially in Los Angeles and, and um, a shout out to all of my SMBTN peeps who um, might hear this at some point, but they are always extremely supportive. I think they enjoy having some female energy around with them. Um, I get included in everything that they do. And, and I often, you know, I, I've been so encouraged that I don't shy away from being one of the thought leaders or, um, you know, I'll walk in and present on everything I know about how to educate yourself with cybersecurity to all of my peers right here in Los Angeles and have no problem sharing that kind of information because I know that it comes back a hundredfold, right? It does. So I feel very well supported in both mentor roles and peer roles within my community as a business owner. The, the harder part for me is when it comes down to like the financial hit that I took in that one rogue employee. Um, and I know that there's other MSPs that I've had similar conversations with where they've had a rogue employee situation where you're just bleeding. You're you're like, you know, no one else is taking this financial hit but me and me alone. It's, right. <laughs> you know, that's the hard uh, where it's like, ah, I would really like to have somebody else shoulder the burden of the stress behind that and yeah. the financial part of it. But then in the end, I don't get to have all of the, you know, glory, if you will, and the financial benefit of, of standing on my own. True. Yeah. And when you're going through that situation, I've heard Brady say this before, it was, it's almost like somebody's stealing from you knowingly and you can't do a thing about it. 
That's exactly the sentiment. Yeah. yeah. And, and if you'll betrayal, there's a betrayal that happens, you know. Oh, totally. You just got to keep walking forward, though. You do. You do. And that's, again, you know, that's the entrepreneurial spirit, not looking back, but looking ahead. So let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about automation, right? I know um, you all use Connect Booster and your Connect Booster partners, but that's not the only thing that an IT business owner can automate, right? So right. what I want to do is talk a little bit about what sort of processes and systems are you all automating? Um, let me see here. I think that we have IT glue um, for all of our documentation, and that synchronizes with our continuum portal so that the desktop count and configurations are always synchronized and the IT glue also synchronizes with ConnectWise, our PSA. Um, when we generate our invoicing and billing out of ConnectWise and that synchronizes with your payment portal as well as QuickBooks. So we have about five different entities in the mix there um, that synchronize in one way or another. It's not all completely automated. Um, we don't necessarily want all of our alerts from Continuum to automatically create a service ticket, for example. We have somebody that manages those and then the ones that need to be followed up on, we manually convert it to a service ticket kind of a thing. Um, but the automation has been key. I know when I first discovered ConnectWise back in, I think it was 2007, I was one of the very early adopters. And believe it or not, Arnie Bellini trained me himself. That's wow. how I joined. I went with like eight people to San Diego where Arnie did the training. Um, it was fantastic. But I, I realized in that, just getting onto ConnectWise as my PSA as a first step, my billing each month went from like 16 hours of manual work for the invoicing and backup for the service tickets to two hours. And I would walk around telling my peers, if that doesn't pay for itself, I don't know what does, right? And it's only continued to improve as my business grows. The hardest thing is making sure that we have all of those procedures in place so that the workflow doesn't miss the detail that, you know, the devil's in the details. And, and that's our, our ever, ever biggest challenge is how to track all those details as we add more clients and more staff, yeah. separating out who's responsible for what. Yeah, and you hit the nail right on the head, and I often say that drives our team nuts, but it, the devil is in the details. And I feel like a lot of um, just people in general just miss a lot of the details today, especially in business, and it's super frustrating to me. And I'm not perfect, and I miss details every once in a while too. But but you're right, and automating a lot of those details is really critical, especially as 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 you all grow and you mature. I feel like where the automation conversation comes in, it comes in at different stages for a lot of MSPs, right? So right out of the gate, they might use a PSA, and that's it. And then as they grow to five or ten or fifteen or twenty employees, then they'll auto automate their invoicing and they'll automate their accounting and they'll automate, automate their proposals and they'll automate their documentation through tools like IT glue or, you know, or whomever. Do you feel like that's the same for, for you as well? Do you feel like as you mature, you continue to grow and automate so you can become more efficient and scalable? Absolutely. And it's fun. You know, I think that things like the uh, continuum and connect wise offering some kind of a certification for using their tools. Um, it's a fun thing to be able to implement where our whole staff like can see the value in it and they get excited to learn it and use it. 
And then um, on the back end of that, I always believe in offering our staff as many skills as they can add to their resume as possible. I want them to feel like they're constantly building their personal value for their professional lives. That's awesome. There's a friend of mine named Marcus Sheridan. Marcus is a big inbound marketing guy. He's uh, one of the early adopters of HubSpot uh, many, many moons, well, what seems like many moons ago. And he often talks about one of the great trademarks of a really good business owner or CEO is somebody who's focused on the development of their team and somebody who, um, you know, who really prides themselves on helping their employees build resume builders, as I think as he calls them um, in some of his uh, some of his articles that he's written. So that's great that you're doing the same thing. And, and like that, you know, as you know, I'm, I'm the head of marketing here and we've used HubSpot in the past. We've used multiple other marketing automation tools. And I definitely feel it's one of the first things I tell the team when they start using them. I'm like, hey, put this on your resume. This is big. Aaron, who's our podcast producer, put this on your resume. This is big. These are really cool, very niche, unique skill sets that um, you know, that may differentiate you as you go out into the workplace. And, you know, not everybody's going to be here at Connect Boost from B&G forever. We know that. So what are some things that we can do to serve them? So as they go out into the marketplace, you know, they can use some of these skills to grow and, you know, grow themselves personally and professionally. Absolutely. I think that's one of the things I learned at Chartech, too, is how important it is to encourage that kind of growth and not be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Well, hey, I wrote a blog piece several years ago. It was a pretty therapeutic one. It was called The 31 Things I Would Tell My Younger Self. So if you could go back and talk to the younger Joy after seeing what you've accomplished today, what would you say? Don't take so long to commit when my gut is telling me to go for something. And always be genuine with my peers and my clients. There's, um, you know, back in the early days, trying to act as if, or I don't know, putting on airs, ego. Um, it, it really doesn't serve me well. And the more I find that I open up and talk about my personal challenges or, um, you know, some uh, a behavior that I wish that I could just get rid of and that I've been struggling with for years, whatever that is. Um, ironically for me, the more open I am about it, the more other people open up to me right away and it establishes trust. So had I had more of that, faith in myself, that it's okay to just be genuine and be me years ago, I think I would have been farther along the path. But I also believe that I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. And there's no coincidences in God's world. Absolutely. I love that. Absolutely love that. You know, one of the things that I, that I, uh, one of my strengths is a project manager. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty, I'm 99.9% sure that uh, as a marketer, I'm the only marketer that I know of that uses a Gantt chart or that even knows what one is. I actually, I sat in a room of uh, Wiley marketing veterans about a couple months ago and I was like, hey, this is the content calendar, the Gantt chart that I use. And they're like, what the heck is a Gantt chart? I said, but one of the things that I do poorly in my personal life, and I lean on my wife to help me out with a lot of this is planning. Like I am the world's worst planner. I frustrate her so much. I'm surprised she's still with me. I frustrate her so much because I'm just such a poor planner. And it's not that my personal life isn't important. Because it is, it's really important, right? My wife and my, I have two daughters, they're 15 and 13. They're, they're awesome and they're great and they're the most important things to me in the world. But I am the world's worst planner when it comes to my personal life. And as I, and as I shared that with this group of marketers, they're like, oh yeah, we can totally 
totally relate. We're at work 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, some of them 15 hours who are the CEOs and the entrepreneurs at work a day. And we're, we're awesome at planning this, but our personal life you know, comes apart because we're, you know, we're not good at this. And I find that the, like you said, the more that I share some of those things, it just makes you more genuine and it builds stronger relationships. Yeah, I agree. If you, if you could know anything different before you got started down this road of business ownership and entrepreneurship, if you wish you knew something then before you started, what would it be? Understanding the financials, like really focusing in to understand the financials better. Um, it's something that, believe it or not, at 20 years of business, I'm really just starting to focus on it in a whole new way um, that kind of ties into my commitment, my personal commitment to be a better steward of um, God's blessings. And when I apply that to the context of my staff and the growth that I want to achieve I have to understand better my profitability and where the financial challenges lie well ahead. So the budgeting process, all of that, it's something that I'm attacking in a whole new way so that that can be something that becomes such a second nature to me instead of the way that my brain usually greets that thought is, oh, I have to look at the financials, <laughs> right? It's just something that for me doesn't come naturally. I don't, I don't like it at all. And so yeah. I'm trying to change that conversation. And um, that would have been the one thing that I really would have from the outset given myself a more positive approach to and focused on more. Yeah. The guys here call budgets dream killers. <laughs> <laughs> they do. When you mention the word budget, it's like dropping the F-bomb in church. They just freak out. I mean, not freak out. I'm, I'm over-exaggerating or embellishing a bit. But yeah, they call um, they call budgets dream killers. I think that's so funny. Yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right. So lastly, uh, what's the number one point or message that you would drive home to any of your peers that are listening to this today? In all things look to be of service. I love it. Joy, where can more people find out about your business? We are at pinkhattech.com. Mm -hmm. And um, do, you, do you want more than that? I mean, there's yeah. a contact us on my website. Um, are you on Twitter, we, Facebook? Where, where, where can people follow you other than your website? Uh, we do have a Facebook web page or a Facebook page for Pink Hat Technology Management. And then also um, my uh, Twitter handle is still LAIT girl. So at no hyphens or dashes or anything at L-A-I-T-G-I-R-L. Love it. Follow me on Twitter. That's great. And thanks again to our sponsors, 5stepmarketing.com and bvoip.com for sponsoring today's episode. Joy, thanks for joining us on the podcast today. It's not only been an encouragement and a blessing, but it's been a pleasure having you on here. Oh, thanks, Dave. It goes both ways. I've always enjoyed you. Yeah, thank you. Well, hey, everyone. Thanks again for joining us on the Confessions of an IT Business Owner podcast. We appreciated you joining our show today, where we believe that cash flow is critical for your IT business, automation is paramount, and looking more professional to your clients and prospects is going to help you grow your business. We really want to uh, give a shout out and a thank you to Joy Beeland, the CEO of Pink Hat Technology Solutions. You can find Joy online on Twitter, at LAIT Girl is her Twitter handle. That's L-A-I-T-G-I-R-L. And you can check them out on their website, which is pinkhattech.com. Pink Hat 
T-E-C-H.com. And to learn more about our company and our podcast, you can download us and check us out at connectbooster.com forward slash podcast. That's connectbooster.com forward slash podcast. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. We'll talk to you soon.